What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase and Tom Gazzola here. Going to talk some hockey for the next 20, 30 minutes, see how it goes. A lot of stuff going on in the league right now. Tom, how are you? How are you doing this morning? Joe, I'm great. Always a pleasure, sir. And I really hope you and everyone listening had a fantastic Thanksgiving, or as we call it in Canada, Thursday. <laughs> there were uh yeah because usually you get you get the, the one thing i do like though about the fact that obviously canada celebrates their thanksgiving on a different day is that normally on thanksgiving you'll get football but you'll also get a couple of hockey games too if you want it and generally it's with the canadian team so um that's true that's kind of a perk that you wouldn't think about and normally you're watching football but i always kind of peek into what's going on with usually if montreal's playing on that day it seems um so yeah. i went on a vacation to arizona which i know you have a house there and for, i'm not sure if you i know you follow me on twitter i'm not sure if you saw this or not but i'm hiking up a mountain just a random mountain in scottsdale just like not even like one of the famous ones or whatever like it wasn't sedona or whatever like it was just yep. just a random mountain in the middle of nowhere kind of by my, my by my mom's house who lives down in arizona and i'm just hiking up there i get near the top and guess who i see like hockey i i thought he was a hall of famer but apparently he's not there's just jeremy ronick walking in the other direction just randomly by himself on this mountain in the middle of scottsdale and I said hi to him or whatever, and like I, I, I maybe it's because I'm young or whatever, but like I didn't really know what to say to Jeremy Roenick. Like, I couldn't say, "Oh, I loved watching you as a player." Like I kind of saw you at the end when you kind of sucked with the Sharks. Like, <laughs> like I, I didn't know what to say to him, but I thought it was funny that like a weird sports celebrity running was uh that happened to me while I was in Arizona. It was just there's Jeremy Roenick just on top of a mountain couple of things there, Joe. Uh, I, he's usually a pretty good guy. Like he, he yeah, he's to cool. shoot the breeze with, with fans and uh, anyone in general. Like that's kind of the type of personality he has. Secondly, uh, Arizona, Phoenix in particular. I'm glad you got down there. And mm-hmm. I know you're going to be spending more time down there, but it's yep. such a good spot. And we've had a, a home down there for, for a long time. And uh, at some point, you and I will be down there and we'll cross paths uh, instead sure. of just over a podcast. And uh, we'll crush a few social sparklers together. And it's just, Love it. it's such a laid back, easygoing place. And Scottsdale's phenomenal. Like that's where the younger people are. And yep. uh, it has everything. Like Phoenix is, is that's, uh, dude, that's my home away from home. And I'm glad you enjoyed your first trip out there. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, I didn't really get a chance to explore downtown Phoenix as so much as I like, but Scottsdale and like everything around it was awesome. And kind of while I was there, what I picked up on, this is kind of why I actually want to start today's podcast um, just for a little bit, is there was more Coyotes representation than I thought. And it's not like it was crazy. Like you would see it like maybe once a day, someone's got a bumper sticker or somebody's got a, a T-shirt on. Um, but it made me think about like, hey, maybe this is – because that team – gets criticized a lot as do the Florida Panthers uh, as well for like the two teams that really just, they cannot sustain a fan base. They do not get ratings. They do not provide revenue for the league. And of course, Arizona's had their ownership problems for the better course of a decade. And really throughout all of that, they've kind of just been bad throughout the entirety of that. And I'm really a proponent of just winning solves everything. Like Nashville is not a hockey market, but they're applauded as one of the better fan bases in the league. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they are a successful organization. The Tampa Bay Lightning, very similar situation where they have consistent fan base. They have uh, consistent sellouts in their arena. And it's, to me, a big reason is that they're just 
a very successful organization. And here's the Coyotes, and they're going along really well this season. They're only a point behind your Oilers for first place in the Pacific. Like that team this year has kind of been a revelation, I think, of stick with the young talent you got and eventually could come around. And I thought I saw maybe a small example of that, like the fans are starting to come out of hibernation there if they even existed uh, because they're being, they're, because they're actually playing well this season. Yeah. It's, it's interesting with Arizona. Like there are a lot of hockey fans in Phoenix in that area. And when the team moved down there in the mid nineties, I remember like that was the hot ticket. Cause it was this, this new thing, obviously. And they had a really good team with, uh, Jeremy Roenick, who went over there from Chicago, you know, yep. they had Keith Kachuk, uh, Teppo Newman, who is a really good defenseman. They had Nikolai Habibulin in goal. They had my good buddy, Louis DeBrusque after he finished up with the Oilers. Like it is a sneaky, good hockey market. And it comes down to location, location, location. Like the, the arena is it, for those not familiar with the Phoenix area, it's a massive city mm-hmm. and driving around there. It can be uh somewhat like la like the the freeways get just jammed there's six million people there and the arena is way on the west end of the of the city and a lot of coyotes fans and hockey fans in general are in scottsdale where where you got to spend a lot of time when you were down there and and they just they don't want to make a 45 to an hour 45 minute to an hour drive to go see a hockey game and especially with the coyotes being a weaker uh team like you don't want to go see your team lose. So it's the arena is beautiful. It's in Westgate Center on the west side of the city in yep. Glendale. It's by the football stadium. Uh but listen, a, a football game on a Sunday uh is a lot different than an Edmonton Oilers Arizona Coyotes game on a Tuesday night where nobody's mm-hmm. interested in the heart of the season. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's yeah. going to be a lot yeah. of snowbirds like like my parents uh that'll go to an Oilers game. But the, the general person that's from Phoenix is mm-hmm. not going to bat an eyelash at that. And, and they could make it work. I know the new ownership is committed to keeping the team there. And if they had an arena in Scottsdale, or if they even stayed downtown, although that's a completely uh, basketball centric mm-hmm. uh, facility, sure. so it wouldn't work. But uh, uh, if they were closer to Scottsdale, I think that that team would be much more successful and viable financially. Yeah. But hopefully it works out because I really love it down there and, and it's great having a hockey team in that city. I'm glad you had a, a taste of it, Joe. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. The uh how about on the ice? They're super interesting right now in that they are they're really high up in the standings, as I mentioned, the only point behind the Oilers first in their division. But I think this is still true. I, I didn't double check this, I should have, but I know as of a couple days ago, uh, I'm sure it's still true. They had the lowest their their leading point scorer was the lowest in the league. Their leading point guy is Nick Schmaltz, who only has twenty points in thirty one games. Like there's they have thirty eight points on the season in thirty one games, and they don't have anybody with more than twenty points. Like the Oilers, for instance, I, I mentioned them because they're first in that division, 50, over fifty points. They have two guys that are over that, and here's the Coyotes. Like they just they're nobody is really producing on a high level for them but they're they're almost kind of like the west version of what i see a lot out of montreal over in the east it's like they don't seem to have a lot of high-end talent for me but what they do have is depth and what they are getting right now is saves because their two goaltenders with ranta and uh, darcy kemper are both playing phenomenal this season so that combination is working for them this season i'm not sure how sustainable it is but 
I, I do think that at some point, like Phil Kessel would be maybe the guy you got to look at, Clayton Keller. I think one of those guys is going to have to really step up and uh, start to produce more points. Only one guy, by the way, double-digit goals. Should have mentioned that too. It's Connor Garland, who's been a surprise for them. But So I think they're going to need to get somebody to really step up and be more consistent offensively if they're going to keep looking like this in the standings. I have a theory, and I, I, we're going to hit on this particular player I know yeah. in, in a few minutes, and, and I'll circle back to it. But it, anytime you talk to players before a Coyotes game, um, you get like a common theme. It's it's they're a frustrating team to play against, and you go, well, why are they a frustrating team to play against? And the players all say they're patient, they stick to the system that Rick Tockett has in place, mm-hmm. and they wait for their opposition to make mistakes and they pounce. And that's what makes them such a frustrating team to play against. And they're mm-hmm. making it work, Joe. And it's, they, they, they've kind of s- snuck up on everyone, but at yeah. the same time, like I was going into the season, I'm like, I think Arizona could make some noise this season. And you're right. Like at some point, one of those guys has to take the bull by the horns and start putting up points, but it, it's a by committee thing right now. And it is impressive, and it's it's you know for the sake of the league, it's good to see. But yeah. um, I, I think they're a sneaky good team. But they do it because they stick to their structure, their discipline in that regard, and yeah. they they've bought into Rick Tockett's theories. What, what I read a lot about them too is like people look at PDO, for instance. So they'll look at their shot percentage and say, "Oh, it's super high," and a lot of these guys are at career highs. So that's going to have to inherently come down. And like the Islanders, the same the same argument's been made about them. Like, hey, their shot percentage has been through the roof. That it's just got to regress at some point. And when I look at the Coyotes, it's like, okay, they don't really have a l- large qu- a quantity of shots, but I think that maybe when everyone's saying, oh, they're due to regress because look at their shot percentage, like they're scoring on an insane amount of their, of their of their shot attempts. I look at that and say, okay, but the way they're playing, maybe it, it can continue that way because they're really only targeting those shooting lanes in the slot or at the bottom of the face-off circle. Like they're not just firing it from the wall wherever they get it. So it's not just that I think they're they're locking teams down defensively right now. It's that in Rick Tockett's system right now, like like you said, they're pouncing on opportunities. Like if they get the puck, like they're just flying in the other direction and they're going. But I feel like when they're in the offensive zone, they're really focusing on we're only going to go for those grade A chances. And um, that's part of the reason I think that maybe what they're doing is a bit sustainable uh, right now. If they can get somebody else to kind of step up, maybe get somewhere around a point a game uh, like Kessel or uh, maybe Clayton Keller. The um, a number of other things we're going to talk about in this episode, by the way, uh, we'll get to Taylor Hall and all that's going on with the New Jersey Devils right now, firing their head coach. Also, what's going on in the league right now in general with coaching. There's been a couple other allegations towards uh, current coaches in the NHL that we'll get into that are similar, I guess, to what's kind of happening in the league right now. Uh, Mike Babcock being fired in Toronto, um, Bill Peters stepping down to Calgary. Before we uh, get into all of that, though, while we're on the topic of like teams that are kind of surprising, I wanted to ask you about Minnesota because when we had a conversation maybe a month ago on who's at the bottom of the league, who's at the bottom of the West in particular – it was those older aging out teams like like Anaheim and LA and Chicago and Minnesota was square in that mix. And I think we were just kind of, everyone's kind of waiting for Bruce Boudreau to get fired and fast <laughs> forward, what 18, 20 games here. And they're in a playoff spot and they've won. They have a point in all of their last 10 games. I, I don't know if they can continue this. There's still negative goal differential on the season, but I've been pretty impressed that Minnesota has been able to turn this around this quickly. 
Hey, that home record, Joe. Honestly, like yeah, seven they have one, one regulation loss. Yeah, it, and that's that's what's catapulted them back into the playoff picture. I remember earlier in the season, the Oilers got shut out three zip at home in Minnesota, and and the Wild were at home, and Minnesota had just won its second game of the season, and they were ripe for the picking. And the Oilers have this incredible knack for losing against bottom feeders. It's kind of what. <laughs> what the hot topic of the week has been mm-hmm. when it comes to the Oilers. But many locked them down. Like it was a three, nothing whitewashing of the Oilers. They didn't give Edmonton much opportunity. And, you know, on that post game show, my producer and I, like the, the topic was what, what's wrong with the Oilers. And I don't think we gave Minnesota a fair shake at, at what they were able to do. Um, and that's play a rock solid home game. And it, it Listen, Bruce Boudreau is a funny guy to listen to, mm-hmm. and uh, his mannerisms on the bench are hilarious. And and for a while, we thought he was a, a bit of a ticking time bomb, and it was like, oh, it's only a matter of time before the Wild get rid of Boudreau. And he's got this team humming at home, and now all of a sudden, you you, you got to give him respect. You got to give uh, the Wild credit for doing what they've been able to do because it's it's getting uh, pretty tight in the Western Conference already. And we still have about 50 games to go on average. And it's like the race is down to like a six or seven point margin. And then even in the Pacific, I know the Wild are in Mm. the central, but it's getting tight. And I think this playoff race, quite frankly, it's it's starting right away, if not already, uh, when it comes to the Western Conference. And good on the Wild for getting in there, because like like you said, I thought they were a lame duck team and they were going nowhere. And here they are in the wildcard spot going into action this weekend. Yeah, I, I think the comparison to the East is is a good one to make because it, it, everything is definitely tighter in the West right now. In the Wild, they're in it, of course, but like you look at the whole conference and pretty much everybody's in it except for LA. Um, Anaheim, or literally everybody except for LA is within four points of a playoff spot. That includes Anaheim, Chicago, Nashville, who have all had their struggles this season. And out East, like you have a bunch of teams. It's just like there's no chance. Like Detroit, New Jersey, uh, Ottawa, Columbus, like you've got at least four teams there where I think just Columbus is nine points back of a playoff spot. Um, and those other teams are all further out than that. I think you look at those four teams and you could definitively say like, you would be stunned if any of them made a run here to make a playoff spot, play, make a playoff push. And in the West, like other than LA, I think you're kind of right. Like it's all tightened up. And I don't know if I'd be surprised if anybody made it out there, like even Nashville and Calgary and San Jose, who are all out of spots right now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they ended up taking the spot that Minnesota holds right now. It's so true. I mean, you look at those wild card rankings every day, and when I get up in the morning, I'm like, "Oh well, who's in the wild card spot today?" Right. And it's uh, it's like this revolving door of teams, and that's it makes it intriguing. But uh, for fans of those respective teams, I mm-hmm. think they're sweating already, and rightly so, rightly so. And this is good parody, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Let's uh, let's take a time out here. When we come back, though, we're going to get into the uh, whole, everything that's going on with the New Jersey Devils firing their head coach, Taylor Hall being the biggest name on the trade market right now. And then after that, we'll get into some of what's going on with coaching just in general in the NHL. A couple more uh, uh, allegations towards current coaches in the league that we'll get into as well. Before we get into that, though, we want to tell you about DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve. Have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code locked on. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com. 
com slash offers. All right, welcome back to the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase, Tom Gazzola here. Let's uh, get into what's going on with the New Jersey Devils right now. Let's start with them firing their head coach. Surprised at all that John Hines was uh, one of the first coaches to go. I, at this point, I think it, it's hard to say anybody could have been surprised, but um, I think that a change had to be made there. Joe, like 0%. Surprised that they got rid of John Hines. There were rumors floating around even a couple of years ago that he might be on the chopping block pretty yep. early into his tenure. And um, the Devils managed to make the postseason and all of that, which which kind of saved his job. And uh, he got some buy-in from his team. And then that seemed to slip away last season. And then this year, you're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. time's running out on John Hines, especially when you hear Tom Fitzgerald is coming onto the devil's bench early in the season. And the guy's the assistant general manager and things were going sideways in a hurry when Ray Shiro made all those moves in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just, it was a recipe for disaster and that's, that's what's happened. And, and they're, a, you know what? They're a flawed team. I, I know that people got excited, especially Jersey fans with, you know, bringing in PK Subban and uh, getting Jack Hughes first overall and, but man, hey, Subban, Subban by the way, is just not the same player. Like watching him this year, no. he just does not look the same at all. There's rumors that he's he's a little bit overweight, and then you wonder if those uh, procedures on his hips uh, maybe yeah. cost him a little bit of his speed and his skating ability. And then add to the fact, Joe, like they had no goaltending. You can't win right. without goaltending. Like Corey Schneider is, is, as we've seen and witnessed, he's down – in the minors, but he's done. His his NHL career is probably done, and that's unfortunate. And you don't like to see a guy go out with like injuries mm-hmm. and poor performance, but it happens. It's part of professional sports, um, and it, it results in a nine fourteen and five record. And right. despite all these uh, splash moves that Rishiro made, like you know, it's not working. And they're gonna they're gonna lose Taylor Hall right away. And I know we're gonna talk about that. But yeah. uh, no surprise whatsoever that John Hines was uh, was gassed. And, you know, there's going to be more changes coming to that Devils organization. It's just you can't yeah. turn it around in a hurry with free agent players and then not be able to have goaltending. It just doesn't work right. without goaltending. You know, we've no, seen right. that time and time again. And, man, like watching the Sabres beat them 7-1 to one last week and, it, like, the – the devils were definitely thoroughly outplayed in that game, but like you couldn't, you couldn't get any saves from your goaltending to bail them out at all. There was a, a one, the goal counter Sherry scores in that game for the Sabres against the devils. It's like a wrist shot from way out on the wall. And it's not even that hard. And it goes off his glove up in the air. doesn't know where it is. And it goes into the net. And that's a goal where it's just like, yeah, you're getting outplayed, but it's so deflating for a skater when just you have a goal let in like that. And I feel like that happens way too often um, for the devils. They probably have right now save percentage wise. I think they're bottom three in the league uh, in save percentage. They're second to the second from the bottom. Um, so they're not getting saves there, but yeah, Taylor Hall is definitely the interesting part of this team right now, because there's to me, no way that he's going to resign there. This is a guy that I think if you would think about his career, of course, going back to Edmonton and what he's gone through with the devils, one playoff appearance, what does he want to 10 uh, NHL draft lotteries. Um, I know yeah. we even <laughs> joked about that this past offseason. Like that I guy, I, I have to imagine his number one motivation, along with with what he will get monetarily, will be I need to go to a contender because I'm sick of losing hockey games. And I would think that that's got to narrow down the list 
of who could actually pull off a Taylor Hall trade because I can't see a team really doing that unless they have assurances or they have at least a good idea that he is going to stay there long term. And I, I think of a couple teams for me, like I think Colorado should be a team that would be in on that. Uh, Dallas reportedly has been a team that's already in on that. I know Edmonton's been mentioned as a team that would try to reacquire him. Um, but I, I do think the list will be limited for Taylor Hall, the teams that I think he would think are a legitimate contender. Yep. And uh, it's, uh, I'm going to throw this team out there, Joe, that I think would benefit okay. from getting him and, and could be very well in the mix is Arizona. And I hinted about it like earlier like in, the, in the podcast. Yeah. He could be, like you said, like their, their PDO is really good and, and uh, yeah. their shooting percentage is great. And maybe that's attributed to their style of play. And I 100% agree with you on that because uh, usually when they get chances, it's 10 bell chances. But now John Chica might have the wiggle room to bring in a Taylor Hall. Add to the fact that that would give that team's offense an explosive element mm-hmm. and it's an already good team in the mix competing every night and and there's probably a real opportunity to win there i think taylor hall would be a good fit with the arizona coyotes and as for him coming back to edmonton like listen as soon as you taylor you say taylor hall coming back to edmonton around here uh mm-hmm. it's like giving a two-year-old candy and, and everyone's like oh that'd be amazing because they want to <laughs> They want to uh, right a wrong, if you will. And listen, sure. Adam Larson didn't ask to be traded to Edmonton. He's been a serviceable top four defenseman. Yeah, he has bad nights, but the Oilers are better served uh, not having a Taylor Hall for this reason. They're better served with having, say he costs 10 plus million per year going forward, which he likely right. will command because he's a Hart Trophy winner and he's an 80 to 90 point guy consistently. The Oilers need like two or three middle six forwards to make them a, a contender and a really strong team. I know they're in first, but uh, they've, they've done it on the backs of the two best players in the league right now in, in Drysettle and New- and um, McDavid. Right. But Taylor Hall, I think it, coming to Edmonton, I just throw it out. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Of course, all 30 other teams are going to be interested in a guy like that. But I, I'm watching Arizona and I'm thinking, okay. That could happen, and it would be huge for the Coyotes. And, Joe, I honestly think that Taylor Hall might be traded before Christmas. Ooh, um, I think I like that. I think I like that. the chances of that. Um, I've thought about him more leading up to this point as kind of a deadline move, but now that the Devils have just really hit rock bottom, I think that could be right. And I think you could find some teams maybe – and, by the way, Arizona real quick – like I love them actually as a landing spot. The more I think about this, they would have to do some work because they only they have less than a million dollars going to next year in salary cap space. But past that, then it, the the floodgates open with the, the amount of cap space they have. They get almost forty million uh, two years from now, so they can fit it on the long term. They just have to figure out how to do it for next year. But that can be done. Like the Leafs do it mm-hmm. every single year, where they're just m- managing a way to to make cap space. Um, but. But before Christmas, I, I kind of like that because I think the Devils should want to rid themselves of that as quickly as possible while they could get as much as they possibly can. What do you think about the price, though, for what they will get for him? Because I'm not just assuming that the Devils are going to go out and just get this enormous package, like a first-round pick and a grade-A prospect and a young top-six player. Like I don't think they're going to get as much as they think. And maybe I'm go- go- using this as an example uh, too much, but – 
when I think back to when the Sabres traded for Jeff Skinner last season, a big reason they were able to get him for so for so little was he had one year left on his contract and you did not have that assurance that he was going to stay long term and that mattered in what you were giving up for him. And of course that would change if a team knew or got word from Taylor Hall that he's going to stay there long term, but I think that if the Devils can't get Hall to commit to where he's going um, in a trade for the foreseeable f- for a, for the long term, then I think that they're going to be like fans. There are going to be pretty upset with what they get in in a return package. That is uh, completely understandable. So you're right. Like the Devils are, they're not in a position of power. They're they're coming af- after this situation uh, in a weak situation. Like. Y- y- the guy's going to be, uh, he's a pending UFA. The team's performance has been absolutely lackluster. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the the mood around there, is, the more they lose, is probably getting worse and worse. And they just gassed the coach. So, uh, you know what might be realistic, Joe, is, is like, okay, you need a roster player mm-hmm. coming back the other way. Probably a prospect of some sort. And then I'm sure if Shiro wants a pick, it, like you said, considering the uh, the status of Taylor Hall and whether he stays and re-signs with whatever team actually actually trades for him, mm-hmm. um, it might have to be a conditional pick. Like, all right, well, we'll throw you a second or third rounder, and if we can re-sign him, that becomes a first. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I think that's totally uh, on the level and, and likely what the scenario will be. Because, listen, like the other GMs are just licking their chops right now, and they know that yeah. the devils are in a position of weakness and, but keep in mind, this is a guy that's in his prime. Uh, he's a heart trophy winner a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. so you're going to have to give up something. Absolutely. But it's, I don't think it's uh it's not like giving up a guy with term and a decent contract. Like this guy's going to get paid right away. So mm-hmm. a conditional pick, a roster player and a, a prospect of some sort, I think is likely, you know, that's, that's probably my best guess. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, we'll take another uh, quick time out here. When we come back, there's a couple more allegations against NHL coaches that we'll get into. Uh, that's right after this on the Lockdown NHL podcast with Joe DiBiase and Tom Gazzola. All right. Uh, last few minutes here in the Lockdown NHL podcast, Joe DiBiase, Tom Gazzola. There are more uh, things happening with coaching in the NHL, and it's kind of become um, – I, I guess we're living in the era now where – the, the stories coming out on coaching and it almost feels like we're in like the NHL has reached that cancel culture uh, kind of phase. It's happened in, in, re- in real life, really. And there's a there's a story about Ville Leno um, telling a story about how Peter Laviolette like kicking him. And then there's a story about Mark Crawford, who's now an assistant coach with the with the Chicago Blackhawks. And he's now on leave while the Blackhawks investigate that like overall thoughts on just kind of what's happening in the league. Like I think obviously the Bill Peters situation, like with that, if that is all true, and I think at this point it pretty much is that we that we've mm-hmm. understood that it is um, that he said a racial slur, and that he there are all these other stories coming out about Bill Peters. Like I think he absolutely deserved to be ousted from his position. Um, how do you feel about though this kind of extending past him, and now we've reached a phase where it seems like everybody's kind of coming out with their own story on a coach that it might be in the league right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's a time of change. Joe, like whether people like it or not around the National Hockey League, it's it's been really intriguing to witness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in the the Ken Holland press conference the other day, 
And I was just, that was, I've done thousands of scrums and that was one of the most intriguing ones to just being in this moment in the NHL and the world of hockey and hearing Ken Holland kind of give his story in the allegations when Mike Babcock was uh, the coach of Detroit and the whole Johan Franzen thing that left Johan Franzen seeking mm-hmm. personal help. And then Chris Chelios goes on spin chicklets and tells this story. But, you know, Ken Holland the other day goes, well, his timeline's a little off. And uh, it's becoming this he said, he said type of situation. Yeah. And, and you're right about it becoming this time of ca- cancel culture in the National Hockey League. But um, there's always been this kind of understanding in hockey. You know, some coaches are hard asses. They have different ways of getting the most out of their players. And, and we're living in a time now where um, the players don't react the same way now as uh, the players of a generation or two ago, and certainly not of three or four generations ago. Mm-hmm. And so they, the winds of change have, have definitely blown in. Um, but it's like Peter's what he did. Unacceptable. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. He lost his job. He's probably done in, in the national hockey. Should, he league. should be. Yeah. I think yeah. So. Um, Mike Babcock now, I mean, I, I'm sure at some point if he comes out and says, listen, I'm sorry, I've learned, I've become a better person. I've sought help. He might get another job somewhere down the line, but uh, like the Billy Leno stuff, the Mark Crawford stuff, like Crawford's been known uh, to be a hard ass and a tough guy. There's been stuff about Daryl Sutter that's been said. Um, and like I, I was reading about the Leno stuff and we're listen, we weren't there. We don't know, but it really is starting to feel like, okay, uh, to mm-hmm. what extent is, is the allegations and how bad were these situations? And, you know, some of them might be pretty, um, like the Lano stuff, like, I don't know, like a coach can grab a player and be like, listen, man, I need you to be better. Wake up kind of thing. And maybe right. one player takes to it a certain way where, you know, he's offended and uh, coach making physical contact with him. He thinks is inappropriate. And now we're hearing stories or Peter Laviolette maybe saw uh, punched him and yeah. socked him in the head. Who knows? But it, it's, it's, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And unfortunately we're going to see a lot more of this. It's a mm-hmm. uh, fascinating time. And if there is wrongdoing, like I remember a coach playing club hockey here in Edmonton, uh, he's suspended right now. I thought he was the worst piece of garbage coach I've ever dealt with playing high level hockey. He woke up his team one year at mm-hmm. one in the morning when they were in Calgary to make them go run up and down hills uh, by one of the freeways in Calgary when they had a game at 11 a.m. He's he's just utter garbage, like stuff like that, old school stuff like that out the window. See you later. No time for that in, in hockey these days. But if a coach is grabbing a player and shaking him, being like, come on, man, wake up. I have no problem with that. That's different than actually smacking a kid uh, when he's not performing or something like that. Yeah. Um, the uh, It's funny, actually, I just literally saw coming across my uh, Twitter timeline just now. Um, someone actually has a video of Peter Laviolette actually kind of punching like a little jab on uh, Billy Leno's helmet uh, while with the Flyers. Um, I know Laviolette came out and said that it didn't happen and that if he doesn't remember apologizing for it. Um, 
But I, I kind of think the, the, the larger, like the macro of what's going on right now with all of this to me is, of course, like the Bill Peters stuff should almost be on its own level. Um, I absolutely yeah. agree. I don't think he should get another head coaching job in the NHL ever again. Um, he shouldn't get a job in the NHL to me at all. But I think the the macro of what's going on right now is more like what, what the – maybe like – how I want to term this, like the new age head coach in the NHL, like the players coach, the the communicators, the the guys that are almost on the same level as the players and not just tyrants, just shouting them up and down the ice, bag skating them and just being basically a drill sergeant. I think that those types of coaches are starting to to go by the wayside and they're being replaced by more of these these players coaches. Ralph Kruger comes to mind, for instance, for me, um, a big change for the Sabres right now and what they had a couple of years ago in Dan Bilesma. And I think that's kind of representative of what's happening in the league is like, it's not just that all of this, uh, the physical altercations that might be happening between coaches and players, but maybe it's just the whole attitude of like, Hey, if you're going to be a coach, this is going to be yelling and screaming 24 seven. Like that's just not going to fly anymore. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I really, appreciate uh, Dave Tippett's approach to this because obviously he's going to get those questions. And listen, he's an old school guy. He played in the 80s, retired in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And he comes from that era and he's had to adapt. And he put it this way. He goes, listen, it's more of a partnership now. And I treat my players the way I want to be treated with respect. And I think it starts and stops there. And when you do that, then you have their attention, then you have their respect, and you can move forward in the goal of achieving something together. And I really like the way he summed it up. And he's had to adapt as a coach as well, being a coach in this league for almost 20 years. Uh, You can't, like you said, bag skate a team. That doesn't resonate anymore. It's a a partnership. Players want to know what's going on. They want to be a part of the conversation. Uh, It's part of the, the, you know, generation of uh, players that exist now it's um y- you have to work with not tell and mm. uh it, it makes total sense joe it really does i get it yeah all right that's gonna do it for us today on the podcast thanks everybody for listening as always be sure to follow me on twitter at sneaky joe wgr check out my locked on sabers podcast be sure to follow tom on twitter at tom gazola check out his locked on oilers podcast they will meet actually those two teams on sunday so tomorrow um so be sure to stay tuned uh, for some good stuff on that so thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you next friday this has been the locked on nhl podcast part of the locked on podcast network